Scarves Around the Funnel, brought to you by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs. Getting noticed isn't always easy, because there's so much noise! But at Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, we make it easy. With standout signs, business cards, shop fronts, banners, leaflets, vehicle graphics, the lot. Showcasing your products, advertising your brand, and getting business noticed. So, what can we do for you? Forrest Hepburn and McDonald, creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk. by Hibbs only as far as Oda left foot shot goal it's Yutaro Oda with a left foot drilled effort into the bottom right corner hello and welcome to Scarves Around the Funnel the podcast dedicated to Heart of Midlothian Football Club I'm Laurie Dunsire Returning to the the hot seat, um, and I've had plenty of experience of hot seats recently, <laughs> given that I've been off, and that one was completely off the cuff. <laughs> yes, thank you to Mark Donaldson for filling in in my absence last time out of uh, an enjoyable episode alongside Scott um, and our guest from the BBC, adding a bit of a, a professional hmm. angle on things uh, we are joined again of course by mark donaldson how are you i'm good welcome back welcome back i now see that um we have to be careful with the song that's played out at the end of the show nothing to do with last week's song to an extent because the song that plays us out of the podcast goes on to mirror or reflect the following hearts performance so last week's song that we played out with was Poo Bum Poo Bum and the Hearts performance replicated that at Ibrox. There was me thinking the song was aimed at me being off. No, it was aimed, it was aimed at the unwell. farter. I know it was. Oh, I know but, it was. Uh, judging by some of your messages, it could easily have been aimed at you as well. <laughs> Phantom farter still out there. You're not going to admit to that though, are you? You know you've been caught, so maybe you just maybe you stick a plug up the bum. Or something. Oh goodness, that doesn't sound right. Oof, um, early for that, isn't it? We, we, yeah, you, you may go and introduce Scott first, quickly. May get our first explicit tag if you throw things like butt plugs in there in the opening oh, two stop. minutes. My mum listens to this now. I've set her up. So she, um, she gets it automatically downloaded. She'll be asking questions now. Move yeah, on. let's let's move on. We are joined by the 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 video virtuoso, the media maestro, the. The archive artist at Scott McIntosh, who apparently never gets a, a nice intro from me, so I thought I'd throw something your way this week. How are you? Yes, I'm I'm very well, all considering given the, the result yesterday, which we'll we'll go to discuss. But I just wanted to start tonight's podcast with a very hearty fuck you to Brendan Rogers. Uh oh, wow. the wow. most condescending, patronizing idiot that I think has uh, come across these shores uh, today and yeah just didn't a like lot of his competition as well d- yeah well, I mean when you consider that we've had Derek Adams and Lee Johnson and Michael Beal in charge of football clubs this season you're doing well to surpass them uh, just an absolute idiot and you know all turkey teeth just definitely playing to the playing to the fringe element of the Celtic fans today during that during that uh, interview with Jane Lewis. Indeed, yes. I, d- I didn't anticipate us going down a, <laughs> no. a Brendan Rogers route yet. We've, we will have that next weekend when when Hearts... Yeah, well, I can say the same here next week as well. It's fine. I don't mind, <laughs> mind repeating myself two weeks running. Why not? Unfortunately, this week we do have to talk about the game which has just taken place, which was against the, the other side of the Ugly Sisters as Hearts played away to Rangers at Ibrox. We will talk about that. We've had a few emails. We're going to get to those in relation to the last podcast. And we will look ahead to the Edinburgh Derby. We're recording this on Sunday, a little bit earlier than normal, just so we can get this out to you all on Monday with plenty of time ahead of the big game at Tynecastle. And 
we will talk about anything else that may come up over the next hour or so. Before we get cracking, I'm going to start with one quick email. Uh, Mark, this one's from Danny uh, Burnett, who says, Evening, gents, just listening to the episode. Um, and Mark and Martin were talking about John Frame. So yes. this is something you were mentioned last time. So Danny says that John is still working as a teacher at New Battle High yes. and still oversees all of the school football, never changed, and still football daft, a local legend, and an all and all football players, past and present, talk fondly of John. Takes a school team to the Dana Cup every year as well. He is a colleague of mine, Danny. Nice, love that. Yeah, John Frame. If you didn't listen to last week's um, episode, former Wimbledon final umpire um, came pretty close from what I'm led to believe to be becoming the, the kind of chief referee after Alan Mills retired, but that didn't happen. But he used to be in charge of the ball boys and ball girls at Tynecastle. Good to know that he's he's still um, he's still working. Um, stays in Rillian Road in Pennycook. Lovely guy and massive jambo. Um, be interesting to know if he still goes to the games at times. But how many, I mean, we've all got kids now. My kids, uh, Eva Gray's a little bit younger, so she's not quite started the the football element. But how many um, teachers or, or just men and women give up their time? Don't want any money for it or anything like that. But like John and like hundreds of others, they are responsible for our kids mm. getting on in life as far as, as sporting achievements to come. Obviously, Callum's still a baby, so he's he's still got that to come. But the the time that they put in, they don't want anything back for it. But without them, people like John Frame and others, there would be no after school football because they're all volunteers. But they do so much. So just a, a wee word, and I know we've gone off on a few tangents to begin with. But I think that's important that we we just praise those that give up their time to do such an important role. You're here. I think it's I think it's a very good point. And yeah, anyone who who volunteers in in any regard when it comes to things like yeah youth football i think it's i think it's admirable and it's not just about you know those who become footballers you know i think it i think it builds a lot in in young people doesn't it in terms of teamwork and socializing and i think it's very important i think it's it's a very good point it, it's nice to get some some positive vibes early on in this podcast because we will nice have to, to talk be nice, about it. Laurie. It's nice it to is. Be nice. It is, and um, yeah, we'll get cracking. <laughs> You're listening to Scarves That Are in the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. So we'll delay the pain even further just now by uh, quickly touching upon the homework that was set by. Mark really last week and it came about in terms of a chat about being a mascot at Hearts Games and our guest Martin last week mentioned being a mascot at the Hearts game and we've had quite a bit of feedback on this one I'll let Mark get to Twitter in just a moment but we've had some emails and um, a few more than normal so we'll start with some of these Greg Dow emailed and he says in March 1996 I was one of the many young people picked to be a mascot for Neil Berry's testimonial against Leon a week or so before the game my dad told me that 12 youngsters had been picked and were asking if one of the mascots would mind walking out with the Leon team despite hoping to walk out with Robo I begrudgingly agreed to walk out with Leon prior to kick off I was brought into the Leon changing room which included a certain Ludovic Julie and I was given a Leon kit and sat on the manager's uh, sat in on the manager's team talk. Didn't understand a word of it as it was in French, but I still had a great experience for a nine-year-old um, to be sat there amongst international players. Unfortunately, I've not got any photos from the game. However, I still have the top in a box in the attic, and Greg actually sent us a, a wonderful photo, which I will put on the Twitter account. At some point in the next couple of days, he's got the Leon top from that game, the Adidas Leon top. It looks very 90s as well. Um, he says, love the podcast. Scott has been a great addition uh, to an already strong lineup. Regards, you're here. Greg. So there you go. There's one. Uh, he actually was not Hart's mascot. He ended up being the Olympic Leon A mascot. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I like that. Uh, yeah, because initially you're kind of, oh, I want to be the Hart's mascot. But then you get all these star players they're decent they're a decent side that's a good story got a few emails and then i want to end with scott um who posted 
the Andy Thorne Heart Celtic video of the, the ball boy and and kind of follow on from there because that Twitter thread kind of took on its a life of its own. So we'll get to that at the end of it. Aaron Fraser. I saw a tweet from Aaron this week saying, thank you to Laurie Dunsire for giving him his first opportunity to broadcast Partick Thistle Hearts, was it, Laurie? When he was part it of was, Hearts yes. TV. Yeah, nice. There's a lot, of, it's a lot of niceness at the beginning of this. It'll soon get, it'll soon turn to shit, like the Hearts performance at Ibrox, but we're starting off nice. Aaron Fraser was a mascot against Kilmarnock in the cup-winning season. Got to walk out with Zaliukas as well, but ended up losing the game. Now, there's two mascots like, I'm not talking human mascots, I'm talking furry mascots. I think they were called Josh and Gemma. They certainly yes, were when they I was. Were. They yes, were. Josh and Gemma. I don't know where they ended up going on holiday, but they've never come back. They've eloped. <laughs> um, Gibster. This is a cool one. He's got a picture of himself leading out the Hearts team in the Wayne Foster Edinburgh Derby in the Scottish Cup. How nice. cool is that? That's fantastic. It looked like David Syme was the referee for that one. Andrew Ward, ball boy for two seasons from 07 08. Um, fell on my arse getting the ball against Motherwell. Got a big way. Last game was 1-0 loss to Hibs. Riding right penalty. Hibs fans jumped onto the pitch and one landed on my neck. So it was mascots or ball boys or ball girls at Tyne Castle. Um, an intriguing one from John Cowan to Stephen Cantley. It says, think your Tannadice incident trumps all, but there's no reply. What Ooh. could that be? Intriguing. What happened at Tannadice? Stephen Cantley from John Cowan, please. Is this going to be? Know. Is this going to be one of those um, adult mascot situations where someone's been stitched up and been made mascot? In fact, I'll, I'll get to it on that subject. I'll get to an email here from Martin because it kind of links in with that. If that's the case, I don't know if it, if that is the case or not. But Martin Chung says, Mark uh, Laurie, the fifth of November, nineteen ninety four, Hearts one, Motherwell two. I was the mascot for Hearts that day. I was a member of the junior club and received a letter maybe three weeks uh, before, handwritten by Bobby Jenks, who was a bit of a stalwart yes. of the club. Great uh, guy. It said that I'd been randomly selected for this match, but I found out in later years that my dad, who was a teacher at Tynecastle High School at the time, had been coordinating on a community project with Bobby and Hearts. Coincidence, some would say. Wow. Uh, anyway, <laughs> I went to Intersport in Cameron Tall, got the white away top, I just remember that uh, the day was horrible. Uh, we and Murky in the match programme, they put my favourite players, Robbo, but actually it was a misprint and I put John Cahoon. So obviously Robbo came to me and was amazing, but I remember being happy but gutted at the same time. <laughs> I remember Jim Beck came over and shook the hands of all my family and was just amazing. My dear late granddad, who was a massive jambo and has a plaque now in the memorial garden was as excited as me i want to say gary mckay was captain and my dad had taught him when he was at school and again i remember being amazed amazed that this legend knew my dad as we came out i remember booting the ball miles in front of me for no apparent reason i still have a scrapbook of that day uh, the day that i was the unlucky mascot for hearts i had just mm. turned te 10 sometime Cheers, boys. Always enjoy the podcast. Now he goes on to say, I think it would be immense to let Scott McIntosh be mascot now. You can just imagine <laughs> him walking out, holding wee Cammy Devlin's hand, make it happen. Cheers, Martin. But we've we've still got to try and get Andy Driver as mascot. Remember, when Andy Driver yes. came on the podcast, you said he, he, said would, he would be willing to be in a full kit. So I guess you could have whoever's captain on the day, whether it's, you know, Lawrence Shanklin or Craig Gordon or whoever. Coming out with maybe one hand Scott McIntosh and the other hand Andy Driver <laughs> and full kits. <laughs> what do you think, Scott? You know what? I wouldn't actually say no to that. Oh, how good would that be? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd be well up for that. I got a really good message from Jamie Mitchell. This is one of my favourite. It's funny. This is to do with mascots and ball boys or ball girls. Jamie says, was never mascot or ball boy. However, I was asked last minute to be the club mascot, Hearty Harry or equivalent versus Celtic, which I obliged. It was an early kickoff and an extremely hot day. And I was called and asked just an hour before kickoff. I was pissed. I'd been drinking heavily for a good two hours before that. <laughs> so the whole experience was surreal. I remember slide tackling Eggert Jonsson and he went fucking nuts. He went off his head at me. I was winding up the Celtic fans and seeing my boss at halftime in the crowd. Ended up sitting watching the game with Celtic's Paul Hartley with my costume head by my side. That's pretty good, is it not? 
Yes. No. Nice. No. That sounds like a good one. I mean, kind of response. It's like telling a gig, a gag, a gig, and hearing nothing. <laughs> um, wow. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, re- I'm reading the next email. That was my problem. That's fine. That's that's okay. Keith, Keith Robson. Um, yep. At the start of season 85, 86, no photographic evidence, though. John Frame, here we go again. Former club secretary was our teacher, and a friend roped me into it. Before the derby, we got a pep talk from Wallace Mercer in the dugout telling us to take our time if we were winning. That's magnificent. Good old Wallace. He was fantastic. The only issue with Wallace back in the day, his autograph used to take up the whole page on these wee hearts autograph books you used to get. So no one else could fit their their um, their autograph in. Um, from M. Abercrombie, my twin sons were mascot. First game of 98-99 season. First game on Sky on Sunday night against Rangers. Uh, Dick Advocat's first game we won. 2-1 yeah. win, uh, yeah. Yep. Ross Wilson, I was a ball boy at Tynecastle for two seasons from 1989. My first game was an international game at the Under-16 World Cup. Done all the games at Tynecastle, including Scotland-Portugal semi. No picks, but I'm on YouTube somewhere. Now, I don't know if if that's probably before your time, um, Laurie, but Scott, if you were if you were there, I remember I was at all the games at Tynecastle. Parents, I think it was my mum that took me um, to most of the games. The Scotland-Portugal game, I don't know what the actual record attendance at Tynecastle. I know it's like fifty three thousand all over, but since Tynecastle kind of had the, the, since it was done up, not to where it is right now, I think there was like twenty nine thousand or something at a Scottish Cup tie against Rangers, approximately. Scotland Portugal was ridiculous. It had far more. That was just nuts. So Ross was a ball boy at that one. Craig Morris said Velez Mostar. Remember that one as well. Mm-hmm. And Paul Newton had a photo of leading out the Hearts team with Jim Jeffries. Not sure what the game was, but he says he couldn't have pulled those shorts any higher. Just one final one, because I want to get Scott's take on the the Andy Thorne one and the replies we got to that. Um, I mentioned that my mum listens to this. Her father, my grandfather, who sadly died before I was born, was the deputy head at Tynecastle High School. And I just wonder if we've got any listeners that were taught or remember Joseph Dawn, who was the deputy head at Tynecastle, and did he, he taught football as well? He took the boys after after school. Are there any kids out there that remember being taught by Joseph Dawn at Tynecastle High School? And I say kids, I'm talking now. He's gonna, probably going to be in your 50s or 60s. Um, so, yeah, let, let us know. But that's the stories about ball boys, ball girls, well, I've got, mascots. I, I do have one more One more that I just got to because he sent an email and don't want to... Don't want to leave him, leave him hanging. So this is Graham Robertson. Very quickly, he says, um, "Mark asks for former mascot ball boys to get in touch." Well, far be it for me to miss any sort of opportunity to talk about this because anyone who has spent more than five minutes in my company knows I was the mascot on the brisk February night under the lights when we put the mighty Bayern Munich to the sword. I was nine years old and I will never forget the feeling of standing in the tunnel next to Klaus Agenthaler. Um, He was massive and admittedly I was scared of him but he was actually a right nice guy. Uh, These days I live in uh, the Philadelphia suburbs and your podcast remains one of the highlights of my week. Living the dream indeed. Keep up the good work. And he says, I've attached a few photos for your enjoyment. All the best. Come on the hearts. That's Graham Robertson. And he has attached a wonderful photo. Um, The main one I'm opening just now as he leads out the hearts team with Dave McPherson. Yeah, remember the com- the Commodore jerseys that, that they wore. Here's one for you, Scott, before we eventually get to this Andy Thorne incident. The free kick that Ian Ferguson scored from, um, initially, it was going to be taken from wider, wasn't it? And it was moved, not closer to goal, but towards the centre of the field because it was going to be taken originally in the wrong position. Do you have that on your highlights when you uploaded the Hearts Bayern first? Yeah, time? you can see. I think it's Tosh McKinley that Right, yeah. That takes the ball and sort of moves it about maybe yeah, the Byron Wall to the right. Yeah, yeah it, it shuffles, it does. <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was McKinley because it's him that then sort of lays it off to Ferguson. Uh, yeah. But I'm pretty sure it's I'm pretty sure it's up there on the on the highlights one. Cool. What's the uh, what's the story and all the the follow and the replies to the tweet that you put out? Ball boy incident I discussed on around the funnel this week did we find out who the ball boy was or what was said to him by alan ray now we didn't get that but i think we did get a name i'm just gonna go quickly and i'm pretty sure somebody did mention a name on it let me just go in here so just to clarify this is from the cup game 
Yes, so this okay, is from the Hearts Celtic League Cup tie in '96 yeah. uh, when Robbo scored. Uh, the, the ball boy gets a little over exuberant, and as the ball is <laughs> about to run out of play, Celtic are rushing to get restarted, and he comes on the pitch and and takes the ball out of play. <laughs> yeah, it's just about the end of uh, extra time, so it's there's pretty much about a minute or two left to the, the 120. So obviously, Gordon Marshall's quite keen to. Mm-hmm. Obviously, keep the ball in play, or if it goes out for a, a throw in, sort of take the throw in. But this young lad just, I, I don't know, what, obviously, what was happening. Uh, sort of like his internal thinking, but he just sort of steps on the park and sort of just traps the ball. Uh, I mean, Gordon Marshall, to, to, Gordon Marshall was really lucky because he actually does get a tad physical with him. He sort of pushes him. Uh, but yeah, thankfully that it doesn't get any sort of worse than that. I'm pretty sure though somebody mentioned the name. I'm just while you're sure. while you're looking, that was the game that Gary Naismith won man of the match and got a bike, if I remember rightly. He was only playing because we got four cent off at Ibrox the Saturday before. And I believe that was the game that Chris Robinson thought, oh, that's enough to get the game abandoned. No, it's not. It was five. Um, but that's why they had to do an emergency signing of Andy Thorne and Naismith got involved and played and won. It was a Coca-Cola Cup, so I think you got a bike back at that in, in those days, because I remember Stefan Pye also winning a bike for being man of the match. He got the, the bike game. in the next round against Dundee, and then oh, Neil McCann go in the final. Ah. How are we getting I on with think, the names? I think they've done it for two or three years, because I tend to remember, I think it may have been Stephen Glass that got it for Aberdeen in the League Cup final the year before, when they beat Dundee. Uh, so it was something they'd done as like a sponsor thing for, for maybe two or three years, whilst Coca-Cola were, were sort of sponsoring it. Did not get the name. It's in there somewhere, but it's through the notifications. You can God. you can keep looking, and we can we can come back to it at some point in the episode. Yes. But we, um, <laughs> unfortunately, we we will have to. We've not really ripped the sticking plaster off. We've been kind of picking at it for about fifteen minutes, but we're going to have to move on and discuss the unfortunate events from Govan on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Yes, next up we will talk about Hart's last game. The the title dream is over. The the long winning and long unbeaten run comes to an end as Hearts travel to Rangers. And in terms of the team, three changes for Hearts for this one. But they stuck with the back three that started against Motherwell. Out goes Lembakisa, Fraser and Forrest, and in comes Atkinson for his first start since Late December, George Grant and Kenneth Vargas. Hearts starting with that, well, we'll call it 3-5-2, but basically a back five. But Xander Clark in goals, Kingsley Kent rolls, keeping their positions at centre-back. Atkinson right, Cochrane left, Newenhoff, Beningamin Grant in the centre of midfield with Kenneth Vargas and Lawrence Shankland in attack. So this is a game that Hearts went into maybe with a little bit of optimism considering they were playing Rangers, albeit against the Rangers side who've been on terrific form and were leading the league. In terms of the team, Scott, we'll, we'll start with you. It's one of these where, you know, many people in hindsight will talk about the team, but it made a lot of sense, didn't it? Although Hearts had to change at halftime against Motherwell to, to change the game in their favour, it made a lot of sense for this game because this run that we've been on, some beaten runs, started with a win away to Celtic. We actually started with with the exact same shape and only two differences in that game where the Aidan Denham started over Callum Newenhoff and Alan Forrest started over Kenneth Vargas. Nine of the eleven were the same. And you even look back to when we played Ibrox in October, it's a narrow defeat, we're obviously leading that game for most of it. Nine of the eleven were again were the same and actually Odell Ofaya went off in the first half for Kingsley. That would make it ten of the eleven at that point would have been the same. So, you know, we've we've spoken a few times in this podcast about why have Hearts started with a three? But I think on this occasion, you, you can completely understand it, can't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think I think yesterday highlighted deficiencies in terms of p- potentially instructions that were given to players and then the players' application and decision-making themselves once they stepped onto the park. I think formation-wise, it makes a lot of sense to play with the three. Uh, as you've mentioned there, it's something we've set up with earlier on in the season and it's 
you know, it, it has gained us, uh, you know, some some positive results and positive performances previously over the last few months. So I don't think you can argue that. Again, some people will maybe challenge some of the personnel changes, but again, for, for me, and, and, and I said this before the game started, I was happy to see Atkinson back. I still feel that Atkinson defensively in one-on-one -on -one situations is better than Lembekisa in terms of what I've seen from Lembekisa so far, although that is a, still a relatively small sample size. Uh, Grant coming in makes sense in terms of maybe wanting to get a foot on the ball and maybe try and keep a bit of possession, which, to be fair, he'd done pretty well with when he played at Ibrox a few months ago. And then the other change was, was Vargas coming in. I mean, to be honest, it's a bit of a... It wouldn't have bothered me if Forrest had started up front. I, I think you would have been fine with either of those two playing alongside Shankland. So I'd, none of the personnel changes really bothered me as well. I think as we as we go on to mention, a lot of it boils down to you know players just being way off it, and I think some sort of tactical issues in terms of some of the instructions as well that were given. Yeah, I mean, look at the two previous visits for Hearts. At Ibrox, they actually went ahead early on in both of them. They, they drew one towards the end of last season and of course they lost very late on in the last visit. Previous to that, they'd held out till midway through the second half. You go back to February 2022, so two years ago, they conceded fairly early on in that one. They ended up losing that game 5-0, albeit most of the goals in the second half. But what you don't want in a game like this, Mark, is to concede early on because... It's not quite game plan out the window, but it really does change the complexion of things. You want the Rangers fans to be getting nervous, to be getting on top of their team. You want Hearts to have something to defend. But a minute and 15 seconds in, Rangers play the ball to Mohamed Diamande, who scored a very nice goal against St. Johnson the previous week. This one is on his left foot. He works a little bit of space and he picks out the bottom corner and it just felt all too easy. And at that point, it, it pretty much set the tone, didn't it? It did. You spoke about his goal the previous week. He, he... If he's capable of doing that, which we've seen he is, then why are you allowing him the space? Benny allowed him the space, but it's easy to pick on certain players in this game because you could go through the whole lineup and, and no one would get past marks. And there were worse mistakes than that. It's a good finish, don't get me wrong, but don't give someone space. But the ball came in from the right-hand side and I, th I thought Natty Atkinson had a, a really tough, um, certainly, start to the game. And I, I found... Michael Stewart is Marmite, right? I'm not saying you love him or you hate him, but you've got an opinion about him. But he has absolutely eviscerated Atkinson on Radio Scotland. He's, at halftime, he said that Atkinson is mentally weak, nowhere near good enough, soft, and said he basically wouldn't be surprised if Natty came off saying he's got an injury. Now, that's a personal attack on someone. Do I agree with, with the ethos that Atkinson could be stronger, tougher, better, of course. But that, I just I just wanted to mention those comments. I thought that was... He's paid to do that. He's got us talking about that. So fine, if, if that's if that's what you want to do. But he didn't play well. And, and I thought Kai Rolls as well started pretty poorly. Um, to, to concede after two minutes. Even after that, there wasn't really a response from Hearts. We kind of played the game in our own half. Rangers with most of the ball played the game in our own half and it wasn't even a kick up the arse that, that we got nothing changed after that early goal and yeah I'm, I'm gonna I'll go on later to say why I think it's it's not as bad as some are making out but as far as the opening goal is concerned you got to learn your lesson from what the player was capable and had done the week before yeah Rangers were in control had some chances to possibly add to that opener without guess cutting hearts open and having a guilt edge opportunity although throughout the game Serial Dessers probably should have had more than the two goals he ended up with but I think the big not turning point but I guess the crucial point in this game is uh, towards the what 36 minute hearts have actually had their best five or six minutes of the game again they, they haven't created a big opportunity yet but they were just getting a foothold in the match at this point and then Kyros just a little bit slack with possession, gives it away, and Rangers very quickly motor forward. Lawrence rolls the ball across the edge of the box, and Oscar Cortez just slides in to the bottom right corner for his first Rangers goal. It makes it 2 0. And I think that was the, it's not a sucker punch 
Scott, because Rangers were still the better side um, comfortably at that point in the game. But it was the only it was the only point in the game that you felt Hearts had started to really get involved, didn't you? And that pretty much took all the wind out of their sails. Yeah, and uh, what makes it worse is it's a it's a goal completely out of our own making. You know, you're you're talking Cochrane, Kent, and Rolls all have a part to play in that, uh, and and that's why I think one of the things that's it, keen to sort of stress and point out tonight, yesterday was very much a collective failure. Uh, I know some people might want to talk about certain individuals, and that's completely fine, especially when you talk about you know what team you want to play on on Wednesday against Hibs. But for me. Yesterday was very much a collective failure, and the second goal really highlighted that. You know, people that have been very much on form over the last few months. You know, Cochrane's hardly put a foot wrong recently. Kent's been a great summer signing. Rolls has has been pretty solid as well over the last few months. But they all just conspire to just have these off moments, uh, sort of during the same match, and you just can't do that against Rangers or Celtic. You've got to, you've got to be at your sort of peak ability and your peak performance and then you've got to rely on them having an off day as well which to be fair Rangers didn't Rangers were very good yesterday uh, but yeah it was just a really poor goal to lose very sort of we're very slow in getting back sometimes when we lose the ball in those transitions but fortunately enough when you play against the majority of the teams they don't have the quality to sort of uh, punish you for it but again Rangers do and you know it's a good goal from their point of view but certainly one that uh, was avoidable from our our point of view. It got worse for Hearts before the break. Former Hearts man John Souter played. It's a nice ball, but you know from from the distance he is, what forty yards away from goal or something out on the left, shouldn't be able to pick out Serial Dessers the way he did. Credit to Dessers, it's a really nicely timed run, and he just slots the ball home on the volley into the bottom left corner past Sander Clark, makes it three nil at the break, and it's game over at this point and I think all we're looking for Mark now is I guess a reaction in the second half just a bit of fight um, maybe give Hearts a little bit more confidence obviously we've got a big game coming up and just to I guess yeah, save a little bit of face in the game more than anything I think one of the disappointing things for me is the next goal comes within just a couple of minutes of the second half starting Tavernier with a cross from the right this is one of the worst bits of defending um, Yes, maybe there's a handball from Dessers. It wasn't entirely clear, I have to say, from what I saw. Takes it down. There's a bit of a stramash. Hearts have opportunities to clear. They can, and it just eventually rolls back to the striker who lashes home from a few yards out. And that just... It, it doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. Hearts had lost the game with the, the half-time scoreline, but it, it just showed how bad a day at the office it was, didn't it? There wasn't a reaction at halftime. It was just another very soft goal to concede. Go back to something Scott said either last week or a couple of weeks ago. He basically said, look, we're going to lose. We're going to lose one game, right? And we know that's going to come. And and this was the game. And it, it, was, it was a proper lay an egg. Not one player can take any credit from, from what happened. But do you know what? If that is the catalyst, if we knew we were going to lose a game, right, which was always going to happen, I mean, goodness me, it's February, we were on a brilliant run. So as long as it is a catalyst for doing it again, and you can use that in your team talk. And the second half was a non-event. One change at halftime, that goal you mentioned from Dessers three minutes into the the second half, uh, Rose had gone off at halftime for Forrest. A couple more changes, Tagawand and Devlin coming on. Slightly surprised that it was as long uh, as it was before Shanklin was replaced. I mean, the the game was gone. Um, surely you should be putting him in cotton wool. He, he seems to be someone who doesn't pick up many injuries, which is great for us because I don't know what we'd do without him. But to keep him on for, for that long when the game was, was already lost and we were 5-0 down at the time, I didn't quite understand that because if something would have happened to him in a game that we were never getting anything out having been 5-0 down, the minute Fabio Silva... Um, scored the goal, that was probably the time. Because we'd only made three. It wasn't a case if we'd made four. We'd only made three subs at the time. Um, so, yeah, just it's just it's one of those things. It's, we were really, really bad. Rangers were... I don't know if they were really, really good. I think they were decent. But I think we helped them be decent. But what a difference from the Rangers side that beat us in Philippe Clemence, or certainly one of his first games at Ibrox to, to now. They, they are playing 
together as a as a unit. We have been, and that's why I'm not I'm not too down about this because assuming we bounce back and hopefully we do on Wednesday, I think ultimately in the long term this not be a good thing for the club, but I think it'll be a refocus if we do bounce back like we hope, because the game was the game was done and dusted after that. Uh, probably the the third goal, never mind the fourth goal, and then the fifth. Yeah, it was sixty uh, fifth minute when John Ludstrom slid the ball through to Fabio Silva, who scored on the angle with his left foot. Hearts had a few shots in that second half. No serious test for Jack Butland. He did tip one away from kioske tagawa but he looked like he always had it covered and it meant it was heart's heaviest uh, defeat since that 5-0 ibrox i mentioned two years ago and in fact three of the last four five goal defeats have now come at ibrox the other one probably no surprise was at celtic park so a very disappointing afternoon for hearts rangers emerging as comfortable victor but we're hoping as mark says that hearts will be able to bounce back pretty quickly Hepburn and McDonald have been making creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. For more, visit fhmcdsigns.co.uk Okay. Next up, we're going to shift momentum a little bit because we don't want to dwell too much on that Rangers result. We want to look ahead and Hearts have probably the perfect fixture very quickly, Wednesday night, Derby at Tyne Castle, under the lights, a chance to make amends um very soon after a disappointing result. Now I'm gonna to go to I'm gonna to go to Twitter here because we we asked for some feedback from fans about how they're feeling after the Rangers game and what they would put out as their team for this game on Wednesday. So let's look through some of the posts we've had. Jordan says it was a poor day at the office. <clears throat> Changes required in shape and personnel. Gordon backing goals is a must. He's miles clear of Clark. I'd go Gordon, Atkinson, Kent, Kingsley, Cochrane, Benny and Neuenhoff, Fraser, Forrest, Shankland and Vargas. A 4-2-3-1 slash 4-3-3. Harry Temple says, Imperative we bounce back and put a marker down. Hibbs will be confident after Dundee. We need to be at them from the first whistle. We need to be 90 minutes hearts, not just second half. I want to see Devlin back in the middle and Forrest as well. Grant Patience says, given last season's collapse from February onward, when it seemed like we'd all but guaranteed third, just a bit concerned it's a repeat and relating to overconfidence. Just can't fathom that performance. However, perfect opportunity to put it right on Wednesday. Dave Sutherland says, obviously a back four, wouldn't make any drastic changes on who plays. The players have shown they can get results, so should be given the opportunity to bounce back. One change I would want is in goal, though. I think we now just play our best players. So I'll, I'll go to a few more in just a moment, but um, big question for you both. It's a bit of a tough one, I suppose, for the sake of this podcast, because I think we've largely lent towards um, putting our club captain in goals anyway. So I'm not going to ask would you put Craig Gordon in goals? Because I think we would all probably answer yes. I know Mark and I would, but we've said that before. Scott, would you be in that boat now as well? Yeah, I, I think just generally speaking, if if a team loses 5-0, I think there's a few positions that need to be looked at for the next game. You know, you, you need to, when it comes to trying to keep the squad you know, the harmony amongst the squad uh, is as good as it has been. I think you have to accept that when there's a result like that, certain players who have been sort of kicking their heels on the subs bench deserve a chance. And I think it's fair to say Craig Gordon's one of them. Again, I think Steve Stephen Naismith's handled the situation with Clark and Gordon very well up to this point. Uh, since Craig's came back from his injury, Xander Clark's been really solid. Saturday, I would say there's it's not so much that I think he made mistakes, but there was probably a couple of goals where the majority of Hearts fans are sitting there watching and thinking, Craig, maybe we'd have got to that. So I think with that in mind, I think he has to come in on Wednesday and it also gives a boost to the support. Yeah. Uh, so I think even even from a psychological standpoint, I think it's a really good change to make as well. So my question will be, 
do you think Craig Gordon will start on Wednesday? We'll get to the team that we would we would want to see, but for you both, do you think he will start on yes. Wednesday? Okay. Yes. Okay. So do I. Good. But I just, just wanted to check. So um fine, we'll get to our teams in a moment. Let's see what else we've got. Um uh, Gorgie Jambo says Forrest has to start. Thierry JT says we're good. Rangers just had a class above at the moment. We'll absolutely batter that lot. Uh, Chingster says I understand the logic of 3-5-2 but against Rangers yesterday and the semi made us too passive. Slow start as we made against lesser teams. Evident again yesterday. For me, games like that, Devlin is a must for getting close to guys like Lundstrom but individual errors so poor. Alan says, still confident of a result on Wednesday. Strangely enough, I wouldn't change much in terms of personnel from yesterday. Still say that 11, that 11 v Rangers was our strongest available aside from Forrest, but reckon a back four will be used again. Um, Ken Moody gives us his team. I'll just read this one out. So 4-2-3-1 for Ken. He says, Clark and goals, Cochrane left, Lembekisa right, Kingsley and Kent in the centre. Macaulay Tate getting a start in the sitting role alongside Benny Beningames went Forrest left, Vargas right, Callum Newenhoff in the advanced position, the number 10 role, and Lawrence Shankland up front. And I'll get another team from Andrew McKinnon Foundation, hashtag forever15. Uh, he's gone with Gordon and Goals, Lembekisa right, Kingsley left, Kent and Rolls in the centre, Beningame and Devlin sitting, Forrest, Vargas. Uh, the wide positions, again, another person has gone with Callum Newenhoff in the centre and Lawrence Shankland up front. Um, give me your team, Mark. What would your team be for, for Wednesday night against Hibs? 4-3-3, Craig Gordon and goal. The issue I had was at right back. I've gone Lembekisa. And I know we've discussed that Lembekisa is probably better going forward and maybe not the best in a four. I just thought Natty was a mile off it, an absolute mile off it at Ibrox. And I think what it's shown is we need uh, a first-choice right-back. How to much buy. of that, though? Because, uh, look, I've, I've said myself, I see Natty more as a squad player than a first-choice pick, and I still think we can recruit better. But how much he Saturday was down to the fact that he was constantly pinned back by Cortez and no one was picking up Yilmaz because the three central midfielders were quite narrow. They were struggling to get over one side to the other. I, I just think, like, don't get me wrong. When he had, like, he, he still had those moments that Natty Atkinson tends to have. I still think he he's brave on the ball, but he's not particularly good with the ball at his feet. But he's I still, aware, like, yes, I still think Saturday he was not helped by the. I agree. If, if, if there was one player that wasn't helped by that system, it was it definitely was that, yeah. Yeah, I think, and, and that was the one position that I'm, I was, I'm swithering over. And to be honest, Lembekisa or Atkinson, because when I'm going to 4-3-3, I'm going to need um, the two fullbacks to get forward wherever possible, because I'm going to a, a kind of tighter three in midfield, so there will be space up the left for Cochran and up the right for either Lembekis or Cochran eh, or um, or Atkinson. So to be honest, I'm not overly fussed. You, you could play either there. I've got Lembekisa. If it's Atkinson, I'm not I'm not fussed about that either. Kent and Kingsley. I'm dropping rolls. Um, mm -hmm. If you're playing a four at the back, I'm not playing um, Kai rolls alongside Frankie Kent. Um, after what happened on Saturday, he was replaced at half time, and he just looked he looked shaky. So Kent and Kingsley, Cochran at left back, Newenhoff. Devlin, and I'm going Macaulay Tate. I'm leaving Benny on the Ooh, bench, okay. but I'm going to bring Benny on if and hopefully when we have a lead, because I think he's pretty good at, at, at kind of controlling things. Again, that's another one, Tate or Beningame. I, I just think the legs in in there, and there are one or two times this season I've kind of thought of Benny. Yeah, just I, I haven't seen what we saw from Benny at times, and other times I'm like, yeah, so. I'm going Tate, I'm going Neuenhoff, and I'm going Devlin, and I've got a front three of Shankland through the middle, supported on either side by Vargas and Forrest. Okay. That's, that's a lot of similarities to, to what, what I've picked here. So I'm I'm going for 4-2-3-1 slash 4-3-3, just depends how you want to look at it, doesn't it? Gordon and Goals, I've gone with the same back four as you. Len Bikisa right, Cochran left, Kent and Kingsley in the centre. With with Rolls and Atkinson, he had... I don't want to, you know, Scott's right. I, I don't want to sit and 
harp on about the, the Rangers game too much. There's a lot of circumstances about it. But I just think our back four was looking pretty decent on the whole. They've both been away for quite a period of the, the good run we've been on. I probably just for now want to go back to how it worked before. I thought yeah. Kent and Kingsley looked good together. I know they've not part, partnered together an awful lot, but I actually liked how they played together. So I'm, I'm just freshen up and go with Lembekisa this time. I, I wouldn't be that against Atkinson over Lembekisa. I think they both have deficiencies, especially defensively. I've got Manuenhoff and Benny Beningami as the, the kind of deeper sitters. I'm, I'm probably partly influenced by what I think the, the manager would possibly go with here. George Grant, the, the more advanced of that three, with Vargas and Forrest either side in the wider roles and Shankland up top. So pretty predictable in many ways. I wouldn't be against some of the suggestions from others. And what do you think, Scott? I think at Tynecastle, the pitch is tight enough where I think we can play a bit more narrower in the midfield. We can sort of concede some of the game in the wider areas, but sort of dominate the game in the middle of the park, which I think would be key. So I would probably go more with a, a 4-4-2, but we are sort of diamond shape in the, the four in midfield. So Gordon and goals, my back four would be Atkinson, Kent, Kingsley and Cochrane. I would have Neuenhoff playing just at the sort of base of the four. I would then have Devlin and Denham sort of playing in the middle, playing as sort of eights, and they would be the two that would be trusted to try and sort of cover those wider areas and give Atkinson and Cochrane cover when they need to. Uh, and then I would have Shanklin playing in a sort of ten, a, a sort of withdrawn role, just sort of off the, t the front two, and I would have Forrest and Vargas up front. Okay. No Beningame for you either. Okay. No, I just think it, players players need to be accountable when they've had a couple of poor performances and Benny's been off it for a couple of games now and as much as mm -hmm. I like Benny I think that sometimes you need to make a statement not just to that player but to the rest of the squad to say look you know if there's poor performances players will be held accountable and they will be put on the bench and I think that time has come for Benny I just think Neuenhoff has a bit more mobility and is in better form than Beningame just now. And I, and I think Devlin and Denham, I think in a derby game at Tynecastle, if you want to get in their faces, if you want to make sure that you're pressing on their midfield too, which will probably be Newell and uh, Mariah Welsh, then I think Devlin and Denham are, are, are perfect players for that type of game. Let's have a look what else we've had fed back to. Stuart Moody says, Previously I would have been worried, but I think this team has the mentality to get back on track. I would go back to our back four, get Forrest in from the start, play him on the left, Vargas on the right, Shanks up top with either Grant or Fraser in behind, stick with Benny and Hoff. Ian Cleary says, Best time to play them, bad defeat, but need to be right at it from the start on Wednesday. Ian gave us his team, Gordon and goals, Cochrane left, Atkinson right, Kingsley and Kent in the centre, so the back five that Scott went for. Newenhoff and Devlin sitting, Fraser 10, Forrest left, Vargas right and Shankland up top. Chewy Chew Barker says, I'm worried Nasey might change too much. Little tweaks are the best way forward for consistency. Robbie was the tinker man, I hope Nasey isn't too Fans of HMFC says the new synth lie downs every time we head there. The three Aussie players let us down considerably in the first half against Rangers. Turned off after two. It was always a slogging. Uh, it's harsh on Newenhoff, by the way. It's a bit <laughs> harsh, yes. Uh, um, goodness. I'm not quite sure what the agenda is there. Like, again, I don't know how you can watch that match and just pick on two or three players. And again, I would say Newenhoff was the pick of the midfield three. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I just shaking my head at that one a little bit. <laughs> um, a few people going with with Scott Fraser. You think he was in in with the chance of starting? Nah, for Wednesday, no. Nah, I've I've not seen like just not seen enough from him to suggest that he's what we need in that type of fixture just now. Okay. Um, I, I mean, looking at the fixture, you know, Hibs going into this game. After a result against Dundee, it was their first league win since the 9th of December. Away from home, they've only won two of their last 10 league matches. Though Hearts, of course, going into this 
um, having lost their first game in 13. That's since the 9th of December as well. And at home, they've won four and drawn one of their last five. In terms of the Edinburgh Derby, Hearts have only lost one of their last 13 in this fixture. And the last Tynecastle win for Hibs was Boxing Day 2019. However, Hibs did come from 2-0 down to rescue a point at Tynecastle last meeting in October. Now, Scott, looking at Hibs, a bit of a different Hibs team in, in some ways from the side that Hearts last faced at Easter Road just before the turn of the year. If Hibs go with the same team that started against Dundee, it's like an almost 4-2-3-1 shape, and we'll see three new players coming up against Hearts. Uh, Nathan Mariah Welsh in holding midfield, who was signed from Bournemouth permanently in January. Emiliano Marcondes in attack, the highly rated Danish attacking midfielder who's on loan from Bournemouth, and uh, Maiziane Maulida off the left, the French attacker who's on loan from Hertha Berlin, who scored the winner against Dundee and once cost £10 million from Lyonnais when he signed for Nice. What can we expect from some of the Hibs new boys? Do you think they're going to offer a bit more than what they did last time Hearts came up against them? Yeah, I still think they're a bit of a mixed bag as an outfit. I'd, I'd say... In terms of their performances, they've, they've, picked up, they've picked up since that St Mirren result a couple of weeks ago. They had a good second-half performance against Celtic. Uh, pretty routine win at Inverness. Very much a, a, you know, a good back-and-forth battle with Aberdeen last week. And then, by all accounts, they deserved the, the three points on Saturday. They were easily the better side against Dundee. I think that Melida particularly has given them a bit of a focal point up front. Uh, he's actually... His running style is quite awkward and cumbersome, but that in itself, I think, can make it hard for, for players to sort of pin him down. He's reasonably strong as well, uh, and he's and he's chipped in with two or three goals since he's signed for the club as well. So he's he is making so, somewhat of an impact. I think Mercondes is probably technically the best player that they've brought in <clears throat> sort of during the January window. But I do think that in a fixture like this, he does look like someone who could go missing, particularly if we get in their faces early doors. So I would say Melida's probably the one that you've got to worry about, alongside the usual sort of threats like Boyle. It's a really strange one with Eli Yuhan. Montgomery doesn't seem to rate him, even although his goal involvements are easily the best at the club. So on Saturday, there was a choice to bring on either Jair or uh, Yuhan, and they brought on Jair. So it is a bit strange. You, you don't even know if Johan's even going to start, which, I mean, if, if I'm honest, I'm quite happy to see him on the bench and not come on. Uh, the weird thing about Hibs, though, is, is they obviously made some made some changes and they brought in a few players in January and they signed two young uh, centre-halves. So the first one's Nectar Triantes, who Montgomery knew well from his time in Australia. He signed for Sunderland last season, played a couple of times, and Hibs have owned him in. He's really struggled. He's been responsible for a few goals that Hibs, Hibs conceded, and then he was dropped for the Dundee game, and Rocky Bashiri came back in alongside Bill Fish. The other centre-half that they signed, Owen Bevan from Bournemouth, they signed him when he was injured, and he's actually went back down to Bournemouth, and his loan's been terminated. So... We're going to be facing up against a very familiar sort of back four, back five. And I think that's where we can get some joy. So Abita and Miller are very athletic. They're very good going forward and they're very willing to get forward. But defensively, they're not very sound. And I don't think we need to go too much into you know, the, the deficiencies there with regards to Will Fisher, Rocky Bashiri. So I do think there's opportunities for us on Wednesday, albeit Hibs will be a threat. And I don't see us getting a clean sheet on Wednesday. Uh, I do think we should get a few opportunities at the other end. Mark, it's a game where obviously Hearts are still pretty comfortable in third. We never want to say too comfortable after last season, but 11 points clear of Kilmarnock. But for Hibs, they close the gap to Dundee to two points and Dundee are away to Celtic midweek. So Hibs will be going into this game thinking they they'll be looking for a victory. If they can win the game, there'll be a big chance for them to get into the top six. And that's their main goal right now, I think, if you take the cup out of the equation. Will something like that work in Hearts' favour? This isn't going to be a Hibs team that's going to come and want to sit in like we've seen some teams do at Tynecastle. They're going to want to come out and attack. They're going to want to go for the win. Is that what we need after that game on Saturday? 
I think they're the perfect opponents, and I think we don't have to wait a week. I think it's ideal as well that it's midweek. And you've got back at training on, on Monday, light session Tuesday, sort out shape, set pieces. Uh, Stephen Naismith doesn't tell the players the team um, until two and a half hours before kickoff. So the players won't know the, the team when they go to bed on Tuesday night. That's his choice. I don't mind it. It keeps the players on their toes. And I think it's, I think it's excellent opponents. Um, I'm not sure... Hibs will be desperate to go and try and win the game. Um, they'll know there's a fair chance that Dundee will not get anything from Celtic Park. So I think in the last 10 minutes, I don't think you'll see Hibs throwing everything forward. I think they would... I think if you offer them a point right now, I'd be interested to see how many of their fans would take it. There's the the the, the ones like the Hearts fans who goes, no, I would never settle for anything less than three points. Understandably so. It's, it's an Edinburgh derby. Um, yeah, I, I just think that they're good opponents. I thought it was a really good summation of, of Hibernian right now by Scott there. And what we've noticed, certainly from a Hearts perspective as well as a Hibs perspective over the years, it's not the best game for those that have not played in it before. Because if you're not up to speed, and we've seen many kind of look like deer in the headlights, kind of thinking, Jesus, what, what kind of game is this? So... Most of our players have played in a derby before. Scott's mentioned Maulida and Marcondes, who I like, certainly got a um, a, a decent bit of ability. Um, who knows? They, they'll have to be up to speed straight away because your second touch in this game is a tackle. So I expect Hearts to be on the front foot. And I don't mind the fact that Hibs, you're right, they'll not, they'll not sit back all the time. They'll not do what Livingston did and others not to the same extent as Livingston have done, but come sit back and and just say to Hearts, come and attack us. They'll have a go. Um, and they will get their spell during the game where they'll be on top. But I, I'd be disappointed if Hearts don't win this game. I think we have better players than them. And I think that Rangers win has just refocused the players kind of, okay, right, this is what we need to do towards the end of the season. Let's start now. Let's get the three points and let's kick on from here. You're listening to Scarves Around the Funnel, sponsored by Forrest Hepburn and McDonald's Signs, who have been offering creative sign and print solutions since the 1950s. Almost out of time on this week's episode. But before we go, we have been talking about Heart of Midlothian against Hibernian. We have to do predictions before the end. I don't know if either of you have score lines in mind. Scott, you've already been pretty confident that Hearts aren't going to keep a clean sheet so I'm going to guess you're going to go for a high scoring Hearts victory I'm going to say 3-1 Hearts yeah nice a goal scorer for the men in maroon Shankland okay Mr Donaldson how about you 2-1 Hearts Shankland 2-1 Hearts Shankland. Yeah, I was Just looking at answer. Rangers game, only the second game that Lawrence Shankland has not scored in since the 6th of December. You'd feel the likelihood is he's going to get on the score sheet. I feel I might break my, my own personal rule of, of not picking Shankland these days. Although... Pretty stupid I, rule if you want to win, isn't it? You yeah, want to... I I know, I know, but it's kind of like picking up one to six or something on your coupon. Honestly, doesn't it? It kind of feels like. Um, okay, anyway, I'm going to actually completely copy Scott's. I, I'm not copying it, but it was what I had in my head. But I'm going to um, echo Scott's prediction. I'm going to go with three one hearts as well, and I'm going to say Shanklin will be on the score sheet. Uh, yes, I think Hibs have some good attacking players. I would be surprised if we did keep a clean sheet. But we've got plenty of attacking threat ourselves. And yeah, defensively, you still look at the back line. I, I, I think, was it against Andia? Actually, I don't have it up there, but it's still what Marshall and goals. Was it still Rocky Bushiri alongside Will Fish, Obita, left and was it Miller right? Miller right, right, yeah. Newell and Mariah Wells. Sorry, in that game, yes. Yeah, I feel like in terms of their back five, that's definitely something that can be got at. It, Rocky Bushiri went off in that game, didn't he? For um, for Triantis. I don't know if that was just 
precautionary or tactical I'm not sure. late on? I'm quite sure. I've not seen anything. Re- I've not seen anything regarding an injury, uh, sort of since that point. But I suppose tomorrow would probably be the the time when you'd maybe find out which players are, are potentially missing or not. It'll be interesting to see if maybe Oda gets back into the squad uh, for us on Wednesday. By the way, I don't know if it's um, been announced yet, but it is on the Scottish FA website. Do we? Has it been made public who the referee is for this game on Wednesday? Or has it been? Has, has it I been? Feel like um, it, I feel like discussed? it. Yeah, I feel like it was announced. They usually do. The week, the midweek game. Oh, it's, it's, been, it's been announced. I just, I, I don't want to kind of go. Oh, I can tell you that it's this. When we're like, yeah, dickhead, we know that because it's been announced. I just haven't seen it anywhere. It's Kevin Clancy. So I was going through. Hearts have won the last four times that Kevin Clancy's been the referee, and the last time he was in charge of an Edinburgh derby was the second of January at Tynecastle, twenty twenty three. Shankland after eight, Shankland's penalty after thirty eight, and Humphreys after ninety. Are we feeling all right about Kevin Clancy as the man in the middle for this one? You love looking for refereeing significance, don't you? I do I do? I do. Um, fine. I, I, it's not to say that I wouldn't be. Surprised if there was a clanger, a Clancy clanger. I, I, to be, to be I, I'm not, I, I'm not generally overly happy with officiating in this country. So I, I'm neither here nor there about the fact that it's Kevin Clancy. In all honesty. Okay, um, Scott. I'm not. I'm not overly fussed. There's obviously certain fixtures where you start to focus on the the referee a little bit more and Clancy Clancy's like the majority he's fairly inconsistent in terms of applying the rules some some games it'll work in our favour some weeks it won't so I suppose all we're hoping for on Wednesday is that you know we've got full control of our own outcome on Wednesday and we play that well that it doesn't even matter if the referee's having a, a fairly inconsistent or erratic showing I'm not looking for for a kind of a noise up like some of the old firm fans do and they delve into backgrounds and religion and goodness knows what. But what I will say is that Kevin Clancy was in charge of Hearts 2-0 victory at Celtic back in December and I thought he was really strong that day in the face of pressure when you when you go to uh, to the old firm. Um so yeah, I just just wanted to point that out and to elongate this episode even further. Why not? Um yeah, w- one thing on referees that I just wanted to highlight from today's game at the time of recording, and I mentioned to you guys earlier on today, and you know, maybe don't say it very often, but I thought fair play Willie Collum in the Motherwell Celtic game where whoever was on VAR, and I actually can't even remember who was on VAR, but after there was a foul at the edge of the box um, by Callum Butcher of Motherwell, the VAR decided that the referee should go and look at the monitor because he felt maybe it was a goal-scoring opportunity which had been denied, which it didn't look like that at all. And Willie Collum went and looked at it and came out and said, no, stick with my original decision. So he he, he gets justified stick every now and again, but I, I quite liked that I saw him go out over and, and stick to his decision because I think mm-hmm. it's one of those things we see all too often now when someone gets sent to the monitor, it's like, well... Why even bother going over? Because as soon as you get sent there, you would know you're going to change your decision or go with whatever they're sending you over to check. Yeah, I thought it was a shocker. Gavin Duncan was the VAR uh, in charge of the, the team of VAR officials. I thought it was a shocker to even say to Willie Collum, yeah. come over and have a look. It was a nonsense. Um, if it had been the other way around, and if that had been Willie Collum that was on VAR, and he had said to Gavin Duncan, mm-hmm. if he was the referee... Come and have a look at this. Would we have the same outcome? Again, I'm, look, th- this isn't a, oh, it's officials. Let's have a go at them. Willie Collum did really well there. and uh, But he should not have been put in that position by the VAR official. No, it's... When a VAR, VAR official says, come over and have a look, you, you basically have to, you have to do that. You can't just say no, because he might have seen something that you've not seen. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that needs to be better. It's one of those where it's, it's a thing that I dislike about VAR most is looking for things when you don't need to look yes. for things. It's it goes the same back to as clear and obvious. You yeah, know? clear and They're obvious. They're just being far too anal about it. It's just like, you know, it, that's not a clear and obvious mistake. Well, it's not a mistake. It's, he actually gets it right. But they're supposed to be pointing yeah. out clear and obvious errors. Yeah, it's, it's subjective. And not refereeing games either. Yeah. It's the other thing. Well, let's hope, let's hope after Wednesday night 
in Edinburgh Derby, we're not talking too much about VAR. You you never know. We might be, but hopefully not. Hopefully it's a, a game that hearts win and it's entertaining and we're focused on the football and not the officiating. But you never know these days in Scottish football. If you would like to get in touch with us for the next podcast, please do so. You can email podcast at scarvesaroundthefunnel.co.uk or you can tweet us at Around the Funnel. It wasn't a good weekend, but hearts have been on a strong run of form. So we're hoping for some very quick redemption for Stephen Naismith's side. Under the lights in Gorgie, the game that matters most in the capital, the Edinburgh Derby. We'll be back to discuss it next time. Until then, thanks for tuning in. Tell me what you know about me. Welcome to the city where it's sweet. You know I'll be taking that a D. That's why I can fit up in this jeans. Watch me, you know I like to move that. The heat wave make you want to cool back. Hear them saying, baby, bring the bounce back. You gon' make me have to bring the bounce back. Hey, now say, say who gon' send my way. Come right, all right, baby. Say who gon' send my way. Dreams. Hot boy, better give me what I need